Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, um, and we understand that many of you are coming off of watching a, a vice presidential debate and watching flies land on people's heads, and uh, you know actually some sort of conversation happening for for the the united states some of you like jeff aren't even concerned about what's going on in the united states in terms of politics or or probably otherwise other than football so this will be a bastion from a political conversation but we are going to have uh many conversations regarding your seattle seahawks undefeated 4-0 first place in the nfc west and one of, I believe, only two undefeated teams left in the NFC, along with the Green Bay Packers. Let me bring in the fellas. Uh, start with Evan Hill at Evan in SEA. How are you? I'm doing well. I- I'm surprised you didn't start with Nathan. I-, I thought he was on a roll there, and I thought he wanted to share some stuff with the audience. Nathan, is there something you'd like to share with the audience? Nope. <laughs> really? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for that, Evan. What an <laughs> amazing addition to uh, the 109th episode. People will always remember the 109th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Um, you can get those kinds of amazing interactions with the uh, Real Hawk Talk crew if you join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger right now. And just so folks know, um, you know, uh, it, we've talked about it's five bucks to get in. <laughs> it's actually less right now. So uh, through the end of this week, we're running a special promo because um, we know a lot of people want to join the community. Uh, you join on an annual basis instead of monthly. It's like four bucks a month. 
um, to, to do it. So like uh, through Saturday, you're going to do that. So now is a great time to join. Um, got a few hundred folks in the Real Hawk Talk Slack channel. Lots of good conversations there. That was probably among the first places you that people were able to see the news about Snacks Harrison and other things going on. A lot of great folks crowdsourcing information there and, and having a good Seahawks conversation. So come on over to Real Hawk Talk uh, on Slack by joining patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Nathan, at Nathan E11, um, would you like to explain your background, especially for our, our uh, podcast listeners that may not even know what your background is? Sure. So uh, the, uh, uh, the the beautiful eyes, the beautiful black eyes behind me uh, <clears throat> are those of Zach Whitman. Uh, you may know him from Field Goals. You may know him from uh, Three Sigma Athlete. He, cre- he recreated the Spark Formula. Uh, and that's why every draft uh, season, we're endlessly talking about Spark and, and all that good stuff. Uh, and he also uh, popularized the phrase, let Russ cook. You may have seen him on ESPN. Uh, which was really awesome. Um, but no, it's cool. He's a, a Seahawks Twitter guy and uh, started tweeting let Russ cook all the time because we were all mad that they didn't let him pass more. And now they do. And so if you are happy about that, you have uh, Zach to sink. I think he did it all himself. Radicalized Pete all by, by, by himself. That's pretty cool. All facts. Uh, it was very cool to see Zach. Um, I did. I do have to say, like, it was one of the best trolls I saw that someone called him Mr. Sun Limited uh, on Twitter. That was, uh, for those that are not seeing this, uh, Zach is of the fair persuasion, uh, a little bit redheaded and uh, fair skinned. So uh, Mr. Sun Limited was a, a, a quality nickname. And uh, we were a little disappointed, I have to say, on our crew that um, uh, one Mr. Josh Cashman, uh, Cable Thanos, to those that, that know him that way, did not end up making the cut. Uh, we were hoping he was going to be on there as well. But their loss, their loss, because we get to see Josh all the time. Um, finally, certainly not least, uh, Jeff Simmons oh. at Real Jeff Simmons in Canada in a new location which we believe is going to have better internet connection. That's that, that is the rumor on the street. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm all right. So if the internet goes wrong here, I don't, I'm, I'm out of excuses. So we'll see. I can't, I can't be Nathan's intro possibly. Uh, I can't be Mr. Sound Limited. So happy to be back for another week. Four and zero. Let's, let's talk Seahawks. Sounds good. Well, um, we've got to start with the news of the day. Before we even get into the game from last week and look forward to this game, (laughs) we've been looking, we've been hoping for months that the Seahawks were going to find and sign a quality defensive lineman. All of us wanted to be a pass rusher. So what did the Seahawks do? They waited till the fourth week in the season and they signed like a 7,000 pound run stuffing defensive tackle. But He's a damn, damn good one. Maybe the best. Damon Harrison is a Seattle Seahawk, and we'll talk about the fact that he is actually signed to the practice squad right now. We'll go through all that. But before we get into some of those details, um, uh, where's you know where's your excitement level on a scale of one to ten when you heard the news that Damon Harrison snacks as he is known signed with the Seahawks? Jeff, let's start with you. I was around eight. 
I was pretty pumped up when Al Woods first like left Seattle in the offseason. I wasn't as upset as a lot as a, as a lot of people because I figured they could fill that role than another player. And the name I kept pointing to was Snacks Harrison. And I obviously didn't think it would happen now, week four. But the fact that they were able to get him at this point of the year, I was pretty pumped up. Um, we talked about some of their defensive line deficiencies. And I know run stopping isn't an issue for them. And I know it's not the biggest need for their team, obviously, coverage and probably pass rushes. But to get a player of this caliber at this point of the year, to, to make things easier on the other guys on the defensive line, I was worried he was going to go to Green Bay. We've had too many instances where John has got a little weird with free agents and free agent prices. So I was pretty pumped up. I got a little nervous when I saw that Green Bay report. So I'll go with eight. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Where were you? Scale of one to 10. I was probably a little lower than most people. Um, uh, if this has happened like right before the season or something like that, I would have been more along, you know, that eight uh level um but i think that the way that um brian monet has showed up <clears throat> i think that's answered some of the concerns you know at defensive tackle so um you know i'm excited about it um he's a he's a good player he you know could definitely end up being like the best defensive tackle or uh, hell even the best defensive lineman on this team by the end of the year um so i'm not like down on this move in any way uh but i do kind of see him now more as just a rotational piece um than any kind of you know major addition i i don't know that he's going to step in and just take a starting job and like be uh the guy right i think they're going to continue to rotate these guys and the depth part's really important. It's something that we talked about a lot, that they're really thin there. So that's that's awesome that they shored that up and that they got to do it with such a, a quality player. Yeah, Evan, um, <laughs> I want to hear your, your scale of 1 to 10 uh, reaction. But I also want to call out, um, you know, I do think that Damon Harrison actually immediately becomes their best defensive lineman. You, you, you stole my talking point. Well, do you take it? You from stole there. it. I I just was trying to tee you up. Go ahead. I I that was what I was gonna start my my commentary off with. Like, do they have a better defensive lineman, both either on the edge or interior, right now, than Snacks Harrison? And I and I think the answer is no. Uh, I think you could maybe say Benson Mayoa, but that seems like a little bit of a stretch. Uh, this is a great signing. There's, there's no downside to this. Uh, I'm assuming the deal came at a reasonable cost since there were no reported restructures or cuts or, or significant cuts to, to make cap space or anything like that. He's coming off a, what was like a one mil, one year, I think $11 million deal with Alliance back a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, it's a great signing. He's a really strong run defender. Uh, you know, he, he's capable in the pass rush. Hopefully, you know, he provides some really um, much needed depth to that to that interior position. But like you said, I think he immediately steps up and is, you know, the number one contributor right next to Jaron Reed. Um, I, I like that this adds competition at the position. And if a guy goes down, um, it's not the end of the world where, you know, without him, if Jaron Reed or Puna Ford goes down, suddenly you're looking really, really thin and Brian Monet is playing like a hundred percent of your snaps. So it's a, uh, it's a great signing. There's no downside to this. Um, it sounds like he might potentially play as soon as this weekend, 
per Pete Carroll's comments today. So um, yeah, all joy from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm waiting for them to announce the contract and have it be 15 million. <laughs> for you just, like whatever the exact clowning number was that you wanted him to sign for, <laughs> just totally break you. Uh, that would make, that would kind of be funny, but uh, it would actually not be funny. I just want to, I just want to lay be, that. It would be a I little want, funny. It would actually not it be, be a, a good time. Funny. I just want to be clear. <laughs> uh, so, so I want to give you guys a number here rel- relative to this. So um, we always talk about PFF grades because not because they're the end all be all, be- but at least it is a constant. They have the same formula for how they grade everybody. So you can, you can kind of have apples to apples in, in most cases. Well, uh, Damon Harrison um, had the worst year of his career last year. So that's, that's a downside and that's a bummer. We can hope and, and, and that it was because he didn't get along with Matt Patricia, wasn't happy there, as we've talked about before, you know, was not really particularly motivated um, and was thinking about retiring because he wasn't enjoying himself. So all those things might have contributed. But this was the worst grade of his career. It was 63.2. OK, now we just talked about the Seahawks defensive line. And let me tell you, Benson Mayoa, 59.2. Demontre Moore, 53.4. Puna Ford, 65.2. Jaron Reed, 58.3. So Brian Monet, 64.5. Uh, Anthony Rush is your highest rated defensive lineman at 67.3. So... I would just say, you know, again, Damon Harrison, lowest grade of his career was 63.2 last year. His previous, out of five of his previous six years before that, he was 90 or above. Elite, like all pro, first team, all pro level defensive tackle. Um, so, you know, to me, he could, he could, <laughs> he could roll out of bed and, you know, just be a little bit better than last year. And he's going to be the best defensive tackle on the roster. So I think um, anytime you can add someone that's better than what you're playing, it's a good thing. And this team, you know, I think needs all the good defensive players they can find wherever they're going to play. Brian, can I, can I hit you with a question on this? Yes. Pre this snack signing, obviously, you know, many metrics have, uh, measured this run defense as maybe the best unit in the NFL, the top three at a minimum. What was your opinion on this defensive tackle spot specifically before snacks? You know, we've talked about Jaron Reed a lot offline and online. We've talked about Puna Ford, Brian Monet, burn the money is what Jeff likes to say. What's your thought on that position pre snacks and post snacks? Well, that's a pretty broad question, and I, I don't want to take you know the next hour, which I probably would. <laughs> I, I'll hit a couple that I think are are you're probably most interested in because you probably want to try to troll me on it. But uh, we'll start with Jaron Reed, who um, you know signed a deal that I think a lot of people, including everyone else on this uh, this pod, thought was a ridiculous contract. I thought was not that crazy of a contract. I didn't think it was a great contract, but it, it, in the grand scheme was not something that was too concerning for me. Um, you know, I think they signed him with the idea that there could be some upside to him from a pass rush perspective, 
but assumed that he was going to be a starting quality defensive tackle and a, and a high quality run defender. Um, I don't think he's shown the upside as a pass rusher. It looks like that's like who he is, is who he is. I don't, I don't know. We, there's still plenty of games left, but he's not been a meaningful pass rusher this year, but he is one of the best run defenders at that position in the NFL. So I think he's fine for what he is. I don't think he's a, you know, I don't know if he's an $8 million or $7 million a year defensive tackle, but um, I think he's okay. Um, I would say that, you know, Puna Ford also, um, <sighs> Puna Ford to me is the bigger disappointment, to be totally honest. Like, I really hoped we were so excited about him being a difference making defensive tackle last year, and he was just okay. And I thought, okay, maybe that was his first year starting. Now he's going to have an offseat under his belt and he's going to come in and be an impact disruptor. He's had flashes this year, but he still just seems like a okay starter. So um, I think that's the one that, that bugs me most. And, and I'm just sticking with the defensive tackles. I'm not sure if that's what your question was, but um, you know, I think Brian Monet and uh, uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, Anthony Rush. Yeah. I think they've, 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 they've looked okay. Um, but you know, they're like better than what's been a pretty mediocre group. So like, there's nothing in there that to me looks like the type of player that you build around. I think if, if every one of those players left for another team next year and you reloaded with all new players, I'm not saying they're going to do that. I wouldn't lose much sleep over it. Do you guys think the run defense numbers are a little inflated or, because the, the the script of the games that Seattle's been up so much in pretty much every game. No, because they're they're rating well in efficiency metrics, which you know. Okay. I was going to say, what does that. their run defense in DVOA look like? I think they've been top five. I can. Yeah, because the next stretch of games, they're playing against a lot of run-heavy teams, so the timing of the signing is great. The Vikings specifically. The Vikings, the, all the <laughs> the Rams, I think, are number one in neutral script runs. It's like all those let Russ cook images that I see that Ben Baldwin and I think maybe Nathan, you do too. It's like the Seahawks and Chiefs at number one and two. And then like, you know, there's the next third or 29 teams and then a wide margin. And then it's the Vikings. <laughs> yeah, and I think the Rams are right there. And I think the Niners aren't too far apart, so. I think they play Arizona twice in that stretch too, who likes running the ball. So yeah, the Seahawks are sixth in DVOA for run defense. Okay. Uh, so well, anyway, the timing of this I think is great because they're after the bye, I think they have a bunch of division games in a row. Yeah. And the and I, yeah. And I mean, as far as rush efficiency, rush offensive efficiency of the remaining schedule, um, the Seahawks have like the twelfth hardest remaining schedule in terms of the rush offenses that they're going to face. So it's not like the worst, but it's pretty tough. In fact, actually San Francisco has the second hardest. Um, uh, so, and, and they, they're quite a bit, quite a bit um, harder than what the Seahawks are going to face. So, yeah, I guess I, I don't know, guys, is it, you guys always help keep me uh, tethered, which sometimes is good. And sometimes is annoying for both myself and for you. Um, is it unrealistic to expect that Damon Harrison helps the other guys on this team play better? Like in two ways, I'll be specific. One, 
does he occupy more blockers or more attention from opposing offensive line and allow other defensive linemen potentially to uh, have more one-on-one? Does he occupy blockers better or more of them and allow Bobby Wagner to be a better player or Jamal Adams get home on blitzes more often once he's back? Like did that for you, Nathan. Uh, so, so yeah. Are those things that he can do to help beyond just run defense? No, <laughs> no, I, I think he can do all of that for the run defense. I, I don't think you're going to get any of that really as a path for sure. I, I don't think he's going to unlock other players just by being a big dude or like, you know, th- those skills translate in that way. I don't know. I don't know about that. Nathan, he could give Trey flowers some real competition at corner. Sure. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a legit battle there. Yeah. I don't know had. that he's unlocking. I mean, maybe he's unlocking Trey cause he'll, he would send him to the bench, which is where Trey is at his best. Uh, but beyond that, I, I don't know. Uh, the gloves have come off on Trey flowers. Poor kid. Um, yeah, Jeff, I mean, do you agree? I mean, is, is there really no, no expectation that he's going to occupy more blockers than the, than the defensive lineman that Seahawks currently run out there? No, I actually kind of agree with you in some areas. And we've talked about this the whole offseason. And this Brian's probably been your biggest issue with the defensive line as a whole. Is there's not a single player on the team that draws a double team. And that double team does unlock certain things, maybe not as much in the passing game, but someone like Bobby, who isn't getting into the backfield as much as he did earlier in his career. And uh, he hasn't made those flash plays as much the last year or two. He saw, he saw it a bit in that first game, but you haven't seen it as much now. So I, I even know Bobby today came out and said that he's excited for someone to take on two blocks. And the fact that he said it right now, is so he's thinking the same thing you are. So I think that does help in a sense. I think another thing that helps is that I, I've said this a bunch of times that Jaron Reed's playing too many snaps. If they do want him to be productive, playing him like 50 snaps a game probably doesn't fit if you want him to be a pass rusher. So kind of easing his snaps does potentially help the pass rush, but I'm, none of us are high on Jared Reed as a pass rusher. So I don't know if that's a big deal, but I think just having someone that can occupy two blockers, I think unlocks some other things in the front seven. The only worry is that maybe their run defense is considered good by other teams that everyone just decides to throw at us like 90% of the time. And you've seen our coverages. So that might be a scary thing. That's true. And, and we'll, uh, we'll spend a little more time on Damon Harrison and then we'll move on. But uh, <laughs> he did have three and a half sacks two years ago, not a long time ago, just two years ago, which would have been like one less than the Seahawks leader in sacks last year. <laughs> Half a sack less. He'd be right behind Nasheem. <laughs> so, you know, we are, we are, we aren't even beggars guys. I mean, beggars probably are, are getting more choices than we are from a defensive pass rush perspective. So um, yeah, it was a little depressing. I have to admit when I wrote my tail of the tape this morning, and tried to make a case for how the Seahawks were going to take advantage of a faulty Vikings offensive line. And I was like, I don't even really believe that. that I I just, uh, you know, I don't know how it's going to happen. I mean, I think we did that like seven times last year. We're like, Oh, they're playing the Browns. They're going to have a good week. They're playing the Rams. They're the worst offensive line. And then Brandon Jackson like runs into a wall and gets It's, you knew Jeff was going to bring it back to Brandon Jackson. Well, it's just uh, not going to happen. They're not, they have no pass rushers. They don't. I, I, I don't 
see that really changing. Um, we did get a little news today, light news from Pete Carroll's news conference that Daryl Taylor, uh, at least he didn't sound as pessimistic as he had before. He says he's hoping he'll be back, you know, uh, with them in a few weeks. Um, don't know what that means. Uh, and then uh, also um, found out for sure that Jamal Adams is not playing this weekend. And we found out that um, uh, the team's pretty excited about DJ Reed, um, which we have not spent any time talking about on this pod. Uh, DJ Reed, for those that don't remember, actually, Jeff, do you want to fill folks in on DJ Reed and, and who he is and, and when we acquired him? Sure. DJ Reed was like right at the end of roster cutdown. The Seahawks kind of stashed him onto their non football injury list. And the Seahawks and Niners for years have kind of gone back and forth and done moves like this to kind of take each other's players. And Reed was a guy who probably drew very little attention, but at the time we were all worried about who their nickel corner is going to be. And did they, this was at like right around where Marquise Blair was like kind of the talk of training camp. And so this guy didn't get any attention. So Reed looked like a guy, he was like a pretty young player that's San Francisco guys were pretty pumped about when the Seahawks added him, a lot of Niners writers and bloggers were kind of pissed. So Reed can play is mostly a slot guy. He's in a smaller corner, but he's a guy that it didn't seem like he'd be back until December, but he might be back sooner than later. And Pete seemed pretty high on him. When he was talking about him, I think on Monday, Pete was kind of buzzing and like, they don't really have a great option behind Ugo. And to get a guy who can like come in and flash and as a young player, that's a great thing for this team. Because if, again, we've talked about Trey Flowers so much on this show having another corner that's capable really makes a big difference because these guys and Dunbar's got injury issues. I think that's a quiet, very important player down the stretch. Yeah. So, so Reed, you know, likely going to be a nickel corner, but um, at least gives them some more depth there, which is matters with Marquise Blair going out. Um, and then uh, Quentin Dunbar, another piece of news that we got today um, went through walkthroughs today and is expected to try to give it a go tomorrow. Um, Seahawks are facing uh, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, who ranked number one and number two in PFF in, among all receivers in, in a PFF grade. Uh, how important do you guys think Quentin Dunbar is for the Seahawks this weekend? Um, Nate, uh, Evan, let's, let's start with you. I mean, the cornerbacks have been a challenge. Do you believe that Quentin Dunbar can make an impact compared to starting someone like Trey Flowers. Yeah, it's, it's really important, especially in the context of this matchup, just because Seattle's run defense is so, so strong. The Vikings absolutely love to run the football. They're consistently ranked like top five in early down um, uh, run usage. If the Vikings are going to win this game, they have to to be able to successfully pass the ball against this defense. And frankly, our secondary has given up over 300 passing yards in every single game this season so far. Uh, if Quinton Dunbar is not out there to play and Trey Flowers is, you know, uh, the guy starting, uh, Kirk Cousins could have a field day. And the only way the Vikings win this game is if the Vikings have a field day over the air. Um, like I said, this matchup is especially critical for the secondary. Um, Seattle secondary has mostly been a complete disappointment this year, and this would be a great get right game for, for them against I th what I feel like is a, is a credible quarterback. 
Nathan, where are you on Quentin Dunbar um, through, you know, it's only been what, like two games that he's played out of the four. Yeah. I mean, uh, I definitely haven't written him off or anything like that. I, I think they're doing, uh, or, you know, until the Miami game, they have been doing a lot of blitzing and they've been doing some different stuff that I think made the cornerbacks and the secondaries job um, harder. Uh, so I, I didn't think that Dunbar had played well by any stretch. Um, I think he played, mm, yeah, he probably played better than Trey, uh, which is, a, but it's a low bar, right? So, uh, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I, this is a guy that, you know, we had a ton of hope for. And so I, I think it's encouraging that he's coming back and replacing a player who has struggled so far. And hopefully he, you know, comes back as the guy that we had, you know expected him to be and and that could be a huge uh boost yeah it's it's interesting i I just think um i think people might not really realize how good this vikings offense is and i think they look at the one and three record and think this is just an easy game heading into the bye five and oh staring the team in the face Vikings have scored over 30 points in three of their four games. The only game that they didn't score 30 points was against the Colts when they scored 11 and the Colts defense is far and away the best defense in the NFL right now. So, which is weird to say, by the way, like, I'm not like, it's hard to believe that, but um, thank you 49ers for trading away. Good players. We appreciate it. Um, So, you know, there, I was looking back at the stats I had shared earlier. I retweeted it, but um you know, they're, I think, tops in, in uh, explosive play rate. They have not only, you know, explosive plays on the passing side, but from the rushing with the Dalvin Cook. They've got great weapons at the receiver position we just talked about. They've got uh, Kyle Rudolph at tight end. Um, I mean, this is a legit offense, um, and they have all the weapons you need. People like to shit on Kirk Cousins, and I get it because – you know, he's Kirk Cousins, but he's not Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he's not terrible. So he's not Kyler Murray. So uh, that's for you, Evan. Pay attention. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm kind of curious for you guys based off what you've seen of the defense. Are you concerned that this could be a game that gets away from the Seahawks and that, that uh, you know, that they – that they aren't able to contain this offense? I think, you know, if you look at the numbers, like if you look at DVOA, this looks like a pretty ideal matchup for Seattle. Um, you know, they're 16th overall in DVOA on offense, um, fourth on, in running, but that's a, a strength on strength. That's a matchup uh, Seattle is, is okay with. And then 24th in passing. Um, now DVOA is not, you know, perfect. Like you said, they put up some points and stuff, but um so uh, from that perspective, you know, it, it looks like a good deal for them. I would say that Cousins is the type of quarterback who very well could take advantage of the issues that they have. He His struggles come when he has to improvise or do something like out of structure. And so far, Seattle's defense isn't forcing quarterbacks to do much out of structure right quarterbacks have a pretty easy time of going through the reads and and doing what they want to do right the, the plays tend to work so um from that respect i think it could be a little troublesome that cousins could just be a little surgical about it but uh, i don't know I, I it's hard to be too concerned with what we've seen from the viking offense too, this far like 
Yeah, Let's just ahead. take a moment to say, like, Kirk Cousins has not been great this year or even good. Oh, no, he's been pretty like, bad. Exactly. Like, he has six touchdowns, six interceptions on the year. He's taken a ton of sacks. I think he's on, like, 12 sacks for the year. Um, he's not been great. So, I but just that's think – he's been hit or He's been hit or miss for sure. But like I said, this is actually the f- offense's first in the NFL in explosive play rate. They're first sure. in the NFL in explosive passing rate. They're third in explosive rushing rate. 15% of their pass plays have gone for more than 20 yards. 16% of their, pa- their rush plays have gone for more than 10 yards. Um, this is, uh, I'm reading a tweet from uh, at Nick Olson, O-L-S-O-N NFL. So I think he's a, a Vikings fan, but um those are impressive numbers. And Gary Kubiak is an offensive coordinator who has actually given the Seahawks some trouble at times in the past um, when they've, they've had to face him. And I don't know if we've mentioned Justin Jefferson. Yeah, yep. he kind of unlocks some stuff. Yeah, he, he's their rookie receiver that they drafted this year. He already has like 350 yards, three or four touchdowns on the year. They've got, they have some weapons for sure. I think it'll just come down to Kirk. So um, I do want to take one second since uh, we are talking about the Vikings and our good friend. Uh, uh, I actually have <laughs> our good friend and I'm not positive how to pronounce his first name because I only know Arif. Arif is what I was going to say. I believe. Uh, Arif uh, Hassan over uh, it's at Arif Hassan. H- it's A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL is his handle on Twitter. Um, definitely a must follow. Great guy. Lots of good information. Um, he's even got a blue check. He's legit. So uh, somehow he's the Jeff tier of tweeter. I can say he's I can tell you way up, up there. <laughs> so he is much better than I am. He is he is kind of an honorary Seahawks Twitter member for some. Not honorary. He's so like he, a founding member. Yeah, he's like an original Seahawks fan from 1975. There is no Seahawks Twitter without Arif. He's okay. just core to the Seahawks Twitter being. Yeah, he fits all the qualities. Yeah. I started following the Seahawks because of him. Yep, it's true. Shut up, really? Dead serious. Yeah, I, I came out of the Seahawks like three years ago. I came out of my mother's womb and there was Arif right there. Yeah, that was like two years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the reason I bring him up, other than to, to give him a shout out and hope people follow him. Um, so there's always a good uh, back and forth with him during games against the Seahawks uh, when the, they're playing the Vikings. And uh, he's doing a, a fundraiser this week. Um, it's uh, donating to the Lavender Rights Project to help uh, trans, non-binary, gay, bisexual, lesbian, queer people in Washington State. Um, they've raised over a couple thousand bucks so far. It's um, the URL, if you'd like to contribute, is Arif, A-R-I-F. S Arif's fundraiser dot fundraise F U N R A I S E dot org. So take a look. Um, we'll retweet that on my account so people can find it there, but um, good on you, Arif. Um, always good to have fun opposing fans to, to joke around with and raise money for charity. You know, guys, we're always about that. So, um, all right, back to it. Uh, so we had a very, uh lively discussion in our real hawk talk chat about the amount of blitzing that the seahawks have been doing and how much we think that ken norton is causing problems for this defense versus helping this defense 
And I think the, the tweet that kind of kicked it off was from Bob Condota, who um, said that they blitzed, I think, only on five of, I'm looking for it right now. I should have had this up there. Uh, five of, here it is. Five of 45 pass attempts against Miami versus the week before against Dallas, they blitzed on 23 of 57, which is 40% of pass plays. And the Seahawks for the first time had fewer than 10 explosive pass plays against them. Um, where are you guys at about blitzing in this defense? Do you, do you want to see them trying to artificially create pressure with blitzes or do you want them being more conservative and limiting some of these big plays? There's pros and cons to both. So Jeff, I'm kind of curious where your head's at on this topic. So, yeah, I, I witnessed the whole debate today. I found out it was interesting to hear both sides of the whole thing. I'm, it kind of reminds me of the uh, debate we had so long about running the football. And the whole thing was like, don't run more, run smarter. We had that debate for years. And I know Evan was a huge proponent of that. I think that's where I'm at with the blitzing. I'm not saying we need to blitz more because that's an Adam strength. I think they're blitzing too much right now, but I think they need to blitz smarter. And the whole point of the blitz is kind of a deception move. It's kind of, and I think when you make it obvious how you blitz, I think it kind of defeats the purpose. So if you look at the Dallas game, for example, uh, this is where it knows to me. Jamal was like lining up exactly where he was going to blitz. And I found it very easy for Dallas to A, identify it, pick it up, and from a quarterback, from a pre-snap, that leaves an opening in the defense. If they're going to make it that obvious of when you're blitzing and where you're blitzing, then don't do it at all because it defeats the purpose. If you're going to blitz, you have to be either a little more creative about it or smarter because when you blitz, there's obviously a risk. You're leaving one man less in coverage. So when you make it that obvious, it almost defeats the purpose. So unless you're going to disguise it or kind of throw some people from different points, if you're going to line them up where Ezekiel Elliott's standing and have them running a straight line, that's stupid. And you're kind of wasting Jamal Adams and you're kind of blowing up the whole defense. So if you're going to blitz, blitz smarter. That's my point. Yeah. So Nathan, I mean, um, you and I are some of the primary discussers of this topic. I'm kind of curious. What do you think of what, what Jeff was just saying? Do you think it's about volume of blitzing that needs to change or better disguising of blitzing? Or are you fine with the, the blitzing levels that they had before? What, what's your kind of perspective on, on this? This is going to make you mad. I, I don't really like blitzing. Uh, I, I think it's a bad strategy. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, most quarterbacks in the NFL today and, and the way the offenses are designed, um, they, I, I think they, they would probably prefer that you blitz because that opens up holes uh, and gives uh, quarterbacks, you know, if you can recognize it, it gives you a pretty clear place to go. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree that, you know, with some of the stuff that Jeff was saying that you should do it opportunistically, you should do it, you know, in a, in a disguised way. Um, otherwise I think you're opening yourself up to, um, you know, you, you're just, you're just creating holes in your defense. And I think that's a big part of what we've seen uh, cause their struggles so far this year. Yeah. It's interesting, Evan, back in the LOB days, a team that was known for their pass rush, they were one of the least, blitzing teams in the nfl pete historically has always had been much more concerned about sound foundational defenses that did not give up the big play and in fact he was asked today 
what are the most important ways to determine whether you're playing good defense? Number one thing he said, limiting big plays. Number two thing he said, stop the run. Number three thing he said uh, is to get after the ball. I mean, he's basically saying pass rush and turnovers. And so. And do you know where Seattle ranks in the first one? League wide? No, but I'm going to let you tell everybody. I'll tell, I'll tell you where Seattle ranks league wide. They lead the league in pass plays allowed of 20 plus yards at 18 and 40 plus yard plays of six that leads the NFL in both. It is. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. It is clear. They are attempting to compensate for a very weak pass rush. This is something we discussed all year long. It is clearly not working. I echo everything Jeff just said about being at least a little bit less predictable about it. Um, The reality is, is this secondary is not as good as everybody expected it to be. And they're making it worse by overplaying their hand with the blitz with Jamal Adams. Yeah. I mean, I think the hope is that they're, they're not the, 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 they're the secondary isn't as bad as it's playing right now that they're just, you know, they're putting them in a bad spot. Uh, I think that you can be hopeful that the secondary will rebound if they start to play a bit of a more sound defense. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, and and just to to add one more stat to your number, Evan, because for people that don't know, Pete Carroll, for whatever reason, has a different definition of what an explosive play is. They call it 16 plus yard passes or 12 plus yard runs and their definitions an explosive pass. The Seahawks are also dead last in 16 plus yard passes. They've given up 41, 41. And you want to know the next really? closest team in the NFL? 32. Good so God. They're like lapping the freaking field. You know what? How, how, how much of this is Trey Flowers? How, like what percentage of those 41 plays is Trey Flowers' responsibility? Give me a second and I will let you uh, know. Let's right, take I got guesses. another homework assignment for you, Brian, too. While you, after you get done figuring out how terrible Trey Flowers is, I'm how gonna- many did they give up? How many like 20 year plays, 40 year plays, explosive plays did they give up in 2012 or uh, uh, 2013? Sorry. Oh, Have I they already given up more than the, the, the Super Bowl team did <laughs> in like the entire season? Wow. You think 2012 did? Oh, no, no, 2013. Oh, they've already. That, that's a good question. I'll, I'll take a look. I will tell you, I did tweet this out. So I keep my, I keep, I'm geeky. You guys know that. I keep my own stat books on, on the Seahawks games over the years, each, each week. Long time analytics nerd. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm like old school analytics that are like embarrassing. But but in any event, um, I couldn't find any other Pete Carroll seasons back to 2012 where they had more than one opponent get 10 plus explosive passes in a single game. They gave up 10 plus explosive passes in each of the first three games this year. So it is. And, and last week they made an improvement but it was still eight. So like, you know, typical for them in a game, like a a decent is like five or below. Like that's, that's a decent performance in explosive passes. Um, But uh, (laughs) let me look really quickly and see, Uh, I don't know if I will be able to actually find how many are Trey flowers because it just shows who's tackle, who the tackler is, (laughs) but uh, I will let you know. Um, Hold on. 
I have to find out. I'm too curious. I'm going to guess Trey Flowers is responsible for like 25% of those. You know, it only shows Flowers for four right now. Um, as the as the tackler as the tackler so it's hard to say well he's missed um, a lot of tackles this year so but here's the thing like trey flowers didn't did not actually explosive plays have not been his issue he just is nowhere near the receivers that are catching a lot of like 10 to 12 yard passes and then he tackles them shaquille griffin he's given up some explosive passes which gets me back to the point i was i was coming back to that nathan made so hey maybe the you said maybe the secondary isn't as bad as it looks maybe it's the way they've been playing defense. So they did blitz a lot less last week. Shaquille Griffin had what was probably the best game of his career. Statistically, he gave up zero catches and six targets. Three of those targets resulted in either a pass breakup or an interception. So you don't get much better numbers than that as a corner. And we were just totally killing him the week, two weeks before. So is it just that he played better or was he put in a better position to succeed? I would throw out another one there. I mean, uh, Devonte Parker is pretty good, but he got hobbled up like immediately. And beyond that, you know, not a lot of talent on that Dolphins team. So I think, you know, it's one game. It's, there's a lot to be seen, but I would, I think that that it's encouraging, right? I mean, Hell, anything, any kind of moderate performance out of those guys is like encouraging at this point. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, so you know, we're going kind of all over the place, and and I'm going to keep us meandering because there's so much topics to talk about. We're going to take a brief detour from talking Seahawks because um, I think it's worth us having a quick conversation on what's going on with the COVID situation in the NFL and uh, the Titans. Uh, for folks that haven't been following, had you know had an outbreak, number of personnel, you know people that were off-field personnel, um, and then players as well, um, and then subsequent days had additional tests, had a game postponed, um, and then I believe the news broke today, if I'm if I'm right, that they actually went against league policy and actually held a practice. Um, <laughs> Either they or someone else photographed the said practice, which is one of the stupider parts of the, the story. Um, even though they still are getting more players that are testing positive um, as recently as, as today or yesterday. So it's looking like they might have to forfeit a game or draft picks people are talking about, fines, all those kinds of things. So let's take a, a quick few minutes on this. Um, so where are folks on how you feel like this is going so far overall for, for the NFL and how do you feel about the potential of this season potentially being impacted further than what we're seeing right now? How are you guys feeling about this, the season actually completing based on the way things are going right now? Jeff, let's start with you. Um, I'm concerned. I'm concerned every day I see a positive test or I'm hoping every morning I wake up, I'm on Twitter usually in the mornings and, that's now become the first thing I'm reading. I'm looking to see if there's positive tests. I'm looking to see the Titans thing has blown up in the last week and a bit. Today, Stefan Gilmore came out and there's been some guys on another team. So I'm deeply concerned that A, that the protocols weren't good enough to begin with because look what's happened with the Titans. I'm concerned that people aren't taking it seriously enough because even when the Titans were starting to get that public shaming, you saw Roger Saffold, one of the guys from the Titans come out and kind of defend their actions. 
And he was pretty confident about it, which is kind of mind blowing. And just knowing the risk that are putting other guys up against just to play football. So I don't know if it, I don't know if this model is sustainable, if they're not taking it seriously. I don't know if people got too comfortable because the first three weeks seemed like things were going really well. So I'm very concerned. I don't know if I think the best idea and Evans mentioned this a lot on Twitter is that everyone needs to bubble. I think obviously that's the best possible concern, best possible solution for the league, but I don't know if they're going to be able to do it at this point. So I'm concerned. I'm hoping people start taking it seriously. And I'm hoping the Titans are properly punished to kind of send a, a proper message to the rest of the league, that this isn't a joke. Now, now what is a proper punishment? Because I, do, I saw some talk that a retroactive forfeit probably isn't possible with that Steelers game because that practice took place this week, I believe. And um, that game was already rescheduled. So their upcoming game this week, I forget who the opponent is. I feel as if they should be forced to forfeit that game. This is an extremely, extremely fragile situation. Um, I, I don't understand what's, you know, I'm not a football player. I'm not an NFL player, but if, I mean, discounting the entire health impact of this and like, what it could do to your coaches, your family, your children. Like this is your livelihood. Like you get paid if NFL games are played. If NFL games are not played, you do not get paid. And the only re- the only way NFL games get played is if everybody tests negative and COVID-19 isn't spreading to every player, person, family member, child, wife, husband, whatever. I don't understand why they wouldn't take this more seriously. Is is like you said, is this just some players becoming lax about it? But there's some rumors that the coaches were aware of this. It's a, it's a cluster. This is like completely unacceptable. The situation could easily spiral out of control real quickly. And it looks like the Titans, these players, including Ryan Tannehill intentionally, I would go as far to say potentially maliciously like disobeyed these rules. And it's going to impact a lot of people and they should be punished for it. Nathan, any, anything you want to add before we, uh, we shift topics? No, I mean, it's just such a, such a bummer. Like, it just really blows it. This had been going so well. It, it was going way better than I expected it could without doing, you know, a really, you know, kind of the NBA bubble-type um, precautions. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it just looked like it was going to work. And now... You know, the, there's the Titan situation, which we talked about a lot, and which was just completely egregious and negligent on the part of those players and coaches if they were involved. Um, but then I don't think the NFL did a good job with the Patriots game and rescheduling that. It seems like they maybe had that game too soon. And now, you know, you've got Gilmore, who's tested positive, and there's the photos of him and Mahomes talking to each other, and it's outside, but they're really close. And so, you know, it, it's just... Uh, uh, it, it was really awesome to have football back and everything going so well. And it just is a, it just sucks that now we're at a point where it's, it, all of it is feeling like it's in question. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have to admit there's some pretty good, good content about pictures of Stefan Gilmore hugging Patrick Mahomes after that game and all the crap that, the NFL was given for saying that they were going to ban post-game handshakes and jersey exchanges. And it's like, 
Yep, it seemed ridiculous at the time, but so did a lot of things in March that ended up being necessary. So anyway, I, you know, I don't want to go too deep on it, but it, it is an interesting thing. It's something we're gonna have to watch. You know, obviously, not only do we care about the people involved and you know the the communities that they're in and the the country, but but uh, can I just mention one last thing well, on let this? One, one, let me finish one thing on this. So, but if if your Seahawks end up being as good as they look like they are, and the season gets canceled that would be among the all time that would be probably more painful in some ways than some of the other things which i won't mention because people get very upset um, that have happened in seahawks history okay i mean go ahead yeah and i guess i would say i don't know if i don't know if there's a chance it's canceled i think it would just be like like delayed and delayed and delayed that's that's my expectation too. yeah yeah um the only other comment i was going to make brian is there's still some like there's still some like unknown about how COVID-19 spreads in games themselves uh, because the Vikings played, who was it? Um, Titans, right? Yeah. The Titans and didn't have any positive cases uh, even though multiple Titans players did. So nothing is definitive, definitive of course, but hopefully transmission is, is reduced upon playing a sport who knows, but something to watch. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, can you uh, can you talk us through some of the Patreon questions? So again, folks that join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger uh, get access to our Slack channel. Every week, We uh, Nathan goes in there and asks what questions people have, and we try to take a couple of them. We're going to do, we can do a few round robin, one question per person, and uh, you know, you, you, you get to pick which questions and to who. All right. Uh, Paul has a couple, uh, but one of these is my favorite. So we'll start with that one. Uh, a fun little question here. When do you predict that we will see Jason Myers' first missed kick? And who would you like to answer that question, Nathan? Uh, everybody. We should add it to the, the prediction spreadsheet at this point. Evan? <laughs> Do it. It's this week, right? He's going to do it this week. No, it's it's. I just going to save it for like a heartbreaking Super Bowl I, situation. I just had a prophetic vision, and it, it I just literally like got traumatized. Um, they're going to lose to the Niners off of uh, Jason Myers' missed field goal. That would be fair. Uh, it's going to happen. I just had a I had a vision just now. <laughs> uh brian first Jeff, game. any any takes on this one over under um two and a half games i'll just say that 55 yarder he made got very little conversation that was a that was a great that was a great kick um pretty low but, but i was gonna say if i remember right it wasn't the most like i didn't have a ton, it wasn't ton the of most confidence. artful kick no but, and but didn't it was, he wasn't he kind of smirking about it afterwards too like i feel hey, like he knew he kind of hey bitches he made the field goal oh yeah yeah totally totally hey, but he, hey i'm trying to compliment the dude okay okay <laughs> okay don't say, don't go around and say nobody talked about the 55 yard field goal because guess who on this podcast immediately after the game came on here and said you know who's not getting a lot of love jason myers supposedly the overpaid kicker that everybody said would ruin the seahawks guess what was it jana was it dana it was, was she false. the one that came on the it podcast was, and said that it was it was false it was false <laughs> Yeah. 
Next question. Okay. Do you, uh, Jeff, do you, did you want to chime in on Jason Myers from missing kicks? Uh, I, I get scared every time he comes out to kick. So I'm going to say the under on that. Um, uh, all right. Uh, from Udit, um, our offense is great. What's something you would do to improve it? You need to this direct. is a little bit tough one to do on oh. the spot. I feel. Oh, like. you need to I direct the question answer. at somebody. Oh, answer. do I? I thought we. Were, oh, uh, I have right. an answer, and I want to answer this. All right, Brian, you want to go first on this answer. one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, I do. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, the, you, the what's the question again? I didn't really listen to the question. Uh, the offense is great, but what would you do to improve it? Um. So I think the biggest thing is, is I'd like to see them uh, be more aggressive on fourth down. I, I think they've done okay so far. There've been a couple of kicks that I think they could have uh, the couple of plays where I think they could have gone for it and they chose not to. Um, the only other thing I'd call out is this has been a really, they've been a good third down team in the, in the sense that they haven't had a lot of third downs, but they've been really poor at converting them. So um, I'd love to see a little bit more of Skybox Shoddy showing up in third down situations um, to to keep the, the team on the field a little bit longer. Jeff, do you have an improvement you'd like to see him make? Yeah, I'm, pro- I'm pretty sure I'm stealing Evan's answer here. I so swear I to bad. God. I think it is. And sorry, Evan. Uh, stop giving Travis Homer snaps. That's that. There has to be a correlation between the drives – that Homer gets first down plays and failed drives. There has to be, it just feels like every time that happens, the drive blows up. And we saw DJ Dallas last week and minimal snaps look significantly better. His missed tackle rate was better. I think his PFF grade was pretty good. His elusive rating was good. He's just a better player. This looks like another one of those situations where like Shamar Stefan is getting more snaps than Puna Ford. It just, it's mind boggling. There's no, there's no reason to keep doing this. All right, next question. Yay, uh, Dallas. Uh, all right. Uh, where is Philip Dorsett going to fit in? This one's from Paul uh, as well. Uh, David Moore has been uh, – he says effective. I think that's grossly underestimating his performance so far. I think he's been pretty awesome this year. Uh, Freddie Swain has caught some wide-open balls and run with them. Uh, uh, so where does Dorsett fit in if he comes Hold back? Hold on. You're slandering Freddie Swain. How do receivers get wide open? uh skybox shoddy sometimes sometimes it's the route running like he he, he's swain's uh touches have been pretty manufactured i think yes i know what the exact play you're talking about his touchdown but i just no no no. even even last week when he caught that ball in the backyard and in the backfield and just had like 15 15 yards yards, of green in front of him I think his catch in Atlanta was was a nice route and nice run after the catch. I think his catch in in Dallas was similar. I I I I, I think that Swain has looked like a competent professional receiver. So, um, yeah. Uh, so what do you th- what do you think with Dorsett? Does I mean, he come back? Does he have a role? Man, that's a tough question. Is he even seeing snaps? Like if he's, he's- activated. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, what I'm but, saying. Like, uh, is he see, is he even seeing snaps over, or like you just said, he Freddie has Swain to be and, over Freddie Swain as much. Really? As, I yeah, his deep saying speed. because he should be, but because they signed him and he's a vet and he has elite speed, quote unquote, they ha- they're gonna want to see him out there, even if it's only for a little bit. I just can't see if they play him above David Moore. Oh, that would be criminal. Oof. 
I don't know how much David Moore can, much more he can do than what he's done so far. Okay, last one. Troy asked about uh, Lano Hill. Does anyone care about Lano Hill? Does anyone have a take? Is he going to play once, like, what's his role now with Neil? Um, I'm sorry, Troy. I just, I, I just don't care about Lano Hill that much. I, I, I hope he's great. I hope he develops. I wish the best of him a long career, tons of money, but like, yeah, he's just a filler, right? He's back into the roster guy right now. I think mostly, I mean, that's always been my take. I would say that I thought Lano Hill made some game positive plays this year in, in his short time. I thought he looked pretty good against Atlanta um, as an extra safety and um, all that. I think the bigger question there that the implication is what about Ryan Neal? We have not talked yeah. about Ryan Neal and I feel like we should for a few minutes, right? Like this guy had his first start for the Seahawks this game and this, this past game. And yes, he got a pick off a deflection, but he caught it, which we talked about. That's meaningful for this team. Um, and, and he made some big hits, uh, and his impact felt. So he is now for, for players that have, I think at least a hundred snaps. I think that's the limit I put. I can't remember. He's the sixth ranked safety in the NFL, according to PFF six. So, I mean, th that's, that's significant. Um, and he's certainly higher ranked than someone like Quandre Diggs has been, not that they play the same role. So Jeff, what, what are your thoughts on Neil? So, yeah, Neil got a Brian Baldinger video today. And if you ever watch, Brian Baldinger doesn't do a lot of videos on, like, bit players. It's not often. It's usually, like, stars and A-plus players. So I found that kind of interesting. Neil, yeah, just love watching that video and kind of watch him. He's shown a lot of interesting flashes in terms of, like, his hitting technique looks really good. He's caught two interceptions. Well, kind of went right to him, but – he just, he seems like a capable backup. And it's kind of cool. He's working with Cam Chancellor. He sounded like today, Chancellor's having him go through film. So he he looks like he's taken Lano Hill's job. And he looks like, kind of what we said with Swain, he looks like a capable NFL player that we talk about depth so much. A lot of the times, like last year, you take out a starting safety and look at the backup players they had. It was Tedrick and Lano. And it kind of gave their defense no chance in the secondary. And having a capable backup, is really, really important. The guy that can be the sixth best safety, that's that's a, that's a surprise for a guy that no one even talked about at that cut-down day or the roster. That, that's a nice surprise for them. Anyone else on Ryan Neal? If not, Nathan, how are you feeling about your one in three? Really good for the first four games of the Seahawks season. Really, really good. I know it's a little bit of an outside, like the odds have gotten a little worse since we did the prediction, but I still think there's a chance. So I feel great about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I am really curious though. Like I, I'm going to come out. I think this is a Super Bowl team. I think, I think the Seahawks, I think the Seahawks are the best team in the NFL. I think they have clear flaws that are going to have to be addressed. I think their offense and the people running that offense on, like on the field, Russ and, and the position players they have, I think they can, they can do it. I think they've got a schedule that's incredibly favorable, um, even with the division games. Um, where are you guys on this? Like, are you guys like, yeah, I still need to see this, this, and this before I believe, or are you guys kind of in that this is a team that has what it takes to, to potentially get to and maybe win a Super Bowl? 
Brian, we keep talking about this. I'm not sold on the defense yet. I'm really not. I, I think somebody compared them to the 2013 Broncos the other day. Was it, I don't know if it was you in our group thread or, or maybe it was somebody else. I but... compared to the 2005 Seahawks. Okay. Well, similar. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this offense has what it takes to win a Super Bowl. But if they come against a team with a really good defense, I'm not sure our defense could hold up and keep us in a game. I, I really am not convinced of that yet. I'm not saying it's impossible. We just need this secondary to come true to form and be who we thought they were going to be in the offseason. So I'm a, I'm a cautious yes, but I need to see more from the defense. Nathan? I think I'm in the same place. Um, I, I don't think it's a stretch at all for Seattle's defense to be as good as Kansas City's was last year. Um, and I don't think it's a stretch at all for Seattle's offense to be as good as Kansas City's last year, uh, the way they've been going. So I think it's definitely feasible. Um, you know, Brian, you compared them to the 2005 Seahawks, which just I think stylistically is what you're saying. And, and I think that's probably fair. And, you know, they were right there uh, on the doorstep. So um, I don't feel that they're like, you know, really commanding favorites to, to do it. But I think that they're definitely in, in the discussion. And I still think that, you know, uh, anything outside of like an NFC championship game appearance is going to be pretty disappointing. Yeah. Uh, normally, I'd probably agree with you guys, but it doesn't really seem like anyone in the NFL is playing defense right now. Like the Colts are the only team who really have an imposing defense. I think Brian said the Seahawks are like ninth. Some of the stats are a little iffy, but they're like ninth in the NFL. It just shows how bad the defense is across the league right now. I don't know if that's something related to the fans. I don't know if it's easier to pass this year, but if you have Russell Wilson going this good with the receivers he has, I think this team can win any game, and I think I'm more confident in this team than I've been probably since 2014. And they have – you need a one unique strength to get, and I think the Chiefs is a great example. The Chiefs probably should have won Super Bowls the last two years. They had the most dominant unit in the league, and I think all you need is the defense this year to be opportunistic. And if the secondary can just keep up, make turnovers, make a few plays here and there, I think that's enough to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I mean, Football Outsiders right now has the Seahawks as the second most likely team to win a Super Bowl. They're at 10%. The Chiefs are at 19 um, I mean, I know we're a little past time. Hopefully you guys can stay a few more minutes. But but uh, NFC contenders, I mean, Green Bay is obviously the, they're the only other undefeated team. Um, which is the team that you look at in the NFC and you're like, man, the Seahawks would have a lot of trouble beating that team. Not that they're clear favorites, but like, what's the team that you're like, man, that team just, that would give the Seahawks a lot of trouble. The Rams still scare me. Hmm. I think that's a good one. They're three one. and one, not, not undefeated, you know, but their demise may have been greatly exaggerated. They're, they're a leading contender in the NFC. Jeff? I'm going to go with the Packers. I think they're similarly built to Seattle in terms of how good Aaron Rodgers is playing, they're, how good they're, what they've done with motion to kind of unlock Rodgers because he really fell off the last couple of years. He looks kind of like peak prime Rodgers right now. And then you add that, that they have a top-end pass rusher 
Zadarius Smith is probably, I think, the most productive pass rusher in the league right now. So basically, they're like Seattle, but with a pass rusher. So that would worry me. And just based on what Rodgers has done to them in the past with, like, drawing guys upside and all that kind of crap. And I hate Rodgers. He's probably my least favorite player in the NFL. So I hate saying this. But in terms of, like, a one-on-one matchup, that would worry me. Yeah, I mean, the one that I'm kind of keeping an eye on is the Bucks. Um, that's of those teams, the one that has a defense and an offense and has a quarterback who has won a few Super Bowls in his time. Um, so certainly like, you know, push comes to shove. Uh, I would rather play Jared Goff in a playoff game than uh, Tom Brady. But uh, and also Bruce Arians, for what it's worth, has beaten the Seahawks and Pete Carroll more than his fair share at times. So that's one that would be an interesting one. And in fact, as of this week, the Bucks are number one in the NFL and DVOA, um, the number one ranked team, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, yeah, but when has Tom Brady ever beaten the Seahawks? Isn't he just like three and one against Seattle? Right? Isn't isn't that one and three? One and three. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Seattle's three and one against him. So uh, you know. I think that's in the bag. Yeah, I'm not afraid of. I'm not afraid of Tom Brady either. I'm really not. That's the thing. I'm not afraid of any of those teams. I think Green Bay in Green Bay, I think would be a tough one. I I wouldn't want that. But if the Seahawks are home, even with no fans, against pretty much any team in the NFC, I think they're the. I think they're the favorite, and I think that they have a decent chance to get the top seed. Even though everyone's like, "Hey, they got the tough division." Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm optimistic about this team. And I know people are like, why are we talking about this right now? It's like, Hey, like it's, it's a legitimate conversation for this team. I mean, the so, starts, these starts matter. Like these wins matter. Like they're not just four and oh, like they're leading, they're tied for the lead in the, you know, the NFC for what is the, you know, the number one seed. Like, yeah, it's early, but like a fast start matters, especially in the context of the Seahawks who typically only get better as the year goes on. So, Evan, you mentioned an interesting point there with the Rams. I didn't really think about this when we were talking about uh, this earlier. But Wade Phillips had a tweet today that kind of got us going. The Seahawks have been, like, dominated by Sean McVay and that Rams offense. I don't know if they'll do this, but that would be a great guy to have on staff to kind of counteract that. Because who would know the McVay offense better than Wade Phillips, who's worked there two years and kind of helped build that team? I never thought about that till now. Well, but- and there's a spot for him. Like I think it was Brian who said he could be a consultant. Like the Seahawks have brought on tons of offensive and defensive, just like random consultants for short-term gigs just to re-get them back into NFL jobs. Like there's no reason they couldn't bring in Wade Phillips for like three months. Right. Well, and Wade just Phillips to learn actually, that offense, it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, Wade Phillips actually knows how to potentially create pressure uh, on defense and maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I am certainly, I am very, 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 very low on Ken Norton. Um, so can I, can I follow up with a question on that to you, Brian? Yeah. You're low on Ken Norton. We're all low on Ken Norton, but would you, if you had the power to fire Ken Norton mid season right now and hire Wade Phillips, or is that not a risk you're willing to take? I don't think that that's the way I would handle the situation. I mean, I, I, to be totally clear, I wouldn't have hired Ken Norton in the first place. Not that anyone cares what I would have done in a coaching situation, but I, you know, I, 
I do not think he is qualified to be a defensive coordinator. I don't think he's done anything to prove that he is ready to be a defensive coordinator. And when he's done it, he's been bad at it. His defenses have been bad. I don't think he has a, he's, we talked about Tom Cable and his history of offensive linemen or offensive lines and pass protection. It was his legacy, like through all, all the way back to the Colts days with Tom Cable, he had bad or Falcons. I should say he had bad pass protecting offensive lines. Um, Ken Norton builds bad defenses, calls bad plays. So I just think he's, he's troublesome. I do. And I have advocated in our chat about like, bring on someone to augment him. And so you don't have to really pull out the entire, you know, person out of the system, but you can have somebody who's a specialist come in and help patch some of the holes that he's creating. Um, And honestly, we haven't talked about it much, but he and Pete Carroll are kind of sparring through the media. And it's not like, it's not explicit and like terrible, but if you, I mean, compared to what Pete Carroll and his coaching staff usually put out in the press, it's pretty, pretty damning when he like Pete Carroll is saying, yeah, we had some communication problems. Ken Norton says, no, our communication has been great. <laughs> Those are the same day, the same, like these guys both are in the defensive areas. I think Pete Carroll today, he was saying about explosive plays. You saw that we, we kept guys in front of us. We, we blitzed less. Ken Norton is clearly a proponent of blitzing, and he loves doing that. He likes being aggressive that way. So I think that there's some conflicts there that I think we are seeing Pete maybe step forward and, and asserting himself a little bit more just the way he did with Shoddy a couple of years ago when he felt like Shoddy was over – emphasizing our ability to pass the ball when Jermaine Effetti was still out there at right tackle. So whether people agree with that uh, decision, that's kind of what I'm seeing going on. And, and uh, maybe they bring in someone to, to help buffer that. Um, all right. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Vikings. What happens in this game? So Seahawks 4-0, Vikings 1-3, Seahawks favored by, I believe, seven points. They opened as, I believe, an eight-point favorite Sunday night football. Kirk Cousins does not have a good brand on primetime games. The Seahawks do. The Seahawks have beat the Vikings on a pretty regular basis, regardless of where they play. We've already talked about where there's some different you know, strengths and weaknesses on these teams. This is a game for the Vikings where they just won their first game. They're going to be looking to get back into the division, get back into the playoff race by beating an undefeated Seahawks team. Seahawks have a weak defense. Seahawks have a bye week coming up. How are you guys feeling about this game? I'd like a prediction score prediction from each of you. And let's start with you, Nathan. Uh, I should really be prepared for this better. We do it every week. Um, 34-24, Seattle. You want to expound on that anymore? No. Okay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, good offense, bad defense. They'll give up some points, but I think they're going to win this pretty easily. Jeff, how about you? Um, my score is pretty similar. I was going to go 37-27. And we haven't really talked about the Vikings defensively much. We talked a lot about them offensively. And we're all used to seeing the Seahawks feel like they play the Vikings every year. And they've had that Mike Zimmer defense was just loaded with talent. Like they had blue chip first rounders. This defense is very, very different. And they lost three cornerbacks in the offseason. 
Xavier Rhodes and Mackenzie Alexander, and I believe their other starter, Trey Wings, who's, who's hurt. So that was three pretty quality high picks that are gone. They have pro- I, We talked a lot about Miami and Dallas, their secondary. Minnesota has the same problem. Their secondary might be the worst in the NFL. So you had that and you take – they are also used to having a front four that just dominated. And right now their front four is depleted. They have Yannick Ngakwe. We spent a lot of time talking about him. But Daniel Hunter's hurt. And they don't have the defensive tackle involved, Joseph, like they used to. They're, they're thin there. They're just a different defense. They're a depleted defense. They're sort of like what happened with that Seahawks in that transition where they have some of the names you're used to seeing, but top to bottom, it's just a totally different unit. So I don't think they have the defense to shut down this passing game. So I'll go 37-27. Evan? Yeah, this is Seattle's best opportunity all season for a blowout. I really do believe that. Um the teams from the Seahawks perspective, they match up extremely well with the Vikings uh, position group by position group. Kirk cousins is not having a great year. They paid him a, f- you know, a frick ton of money. Um, add on to the fact that this is on Sunday night football at home. It does matter that it's home, even though there's no fans, this is uh, lining up for a potential blowout and I never predict blowouts. So I'm going to go with, 38 to 10 Seahawks. Wow. They, they do play the Jets and Washington coming up. So. Yeah, but the Seahawks are dumb and play down to like really bad teams. So interesting. Yeah, I, I have a I have a different feeling about this game than you guys. I will say that like the state of the Vikings defense is a really positive one for all the reason you guys pointed out. No Daniel Hunter, um, no Anthony Barr at linebacker um the the vikings corners are awful holton hill he is trey flowers level bad this year like they have similar numbers um in terms of how they're giving up stuff you know they're nickel corner they're just they're bad so i mean this should be a game i think tyler lockett has a field day um i think the linebackers are also struggling coverage i think the 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 tight ends could have a big day um uh, I believe the Vikings are like 30th in the NFL against number one receivers and like 32nd against uh, number three or four receivers. So this could be a game that we see David Moore or, and, or Freddie Swain um, also, you know, go off. Um, I know Nathan's expecting Freddie Swain to do that. So um yeah, I think that the and also I'd add to that that their interior line is also awful. So Linval Joseph's gone. I mean, their starting defensive tackles are um, Samar Stefan and Jaleel Johnson. So I mean, it, it's it's not good. It's not it's not good. All that said, I can't really escape this feeling that the Seahawks are gonna walk into one this week, and that um, the only thing keeping me from picking the Vikings to win. The only thing keeping me from doing that is that I read the Seattle times uh, predictions every week. And every week I read Matt Calkins picking the other team to win. And it pisses me off. Uh, Cause I think he's just kind of being a prick about it. And so I don't want to be that guy, but like, I will tell you to me, there's all sorts of alarm bells going off about this game. Well, uh, be that guy, be that guy for a second. I, I, yeah. I don't want to be that guy. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to pick a close Seahawks win. I'm going to pick a 27-24 win. I think it's going to be way harder than it should be. And, um, you know, I, I hope that they uh, 
I hope they prove my pregame jitters wrong. But uh, that that's kind of what I'm looking at this week. And if they do, 5-0, first time in franchise history. Um, never been 5-0 before. All right. Anything else that you guys wanted to chat about before we wrap this sucker up? All right. Thank you all for tuning in. It's been another episode of Real Hawk Talk. I'm Brian Nemhauser. Uh, you've been listening to Evan Hill at Evan in SEA, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 and real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Jeff Simmons is his name. Uh, you can find us at hawkblogger.com. A lot of great articles up there. Derek, just uh, Derek with a Y and a G and an underscore. All of them. He, he wrote, he wrote a great article today. It's up there. Uh, Tale of the tapes up there comparing these two teams together. I highly recommend you take a look at that. Um, and then Go over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up. I saw a few more people sign up during the show. You get immediate access to the Slack channel. Um, as soon as you sign up, we're running that promo through the end of the week. So um, get in there while you can get uh, a really good deal to get access to it. Like I'm obviously biased, but I think the most fun CX community out there, a lot of good folks treat people well, keep it good natured um, and uh, love to see you there. Uh, and going to be back with you. Evan, are we doing a post-game show after Sunday Night Football? We are, and I am traveling, and I specifically booked an early flight, so I will watch this Seahawks game and be there for a post-game show. So it is happening. Awesome, awesome. All right, everybody. Well, uh, would love to see you all there. Um, hopefully we get to see – we didn't really get to talk about it. We should have probably about the 49ers losing to the Eagles. Um, that was pretty fun. Um, and we'll just end on that note. Your Seahawks. 4-0, every other team in the NFC West has at least one loss. Evans, Arizona Cardinals has two. So that's all good stuff. And uh, with that, I'm going to say good night and 